This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto. I'm Ash Bennington. Today, I'm joined by Bill Barite, CEO of Abra. We talk trading, borrowing, and lending of cryptocurrency. Bill, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Thanks, Ash. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Bill, we were talking a little bit off camera. You've had a very interesting career before cryptocurrency. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, it's been a, a kind of a, a little bit of an eclectic, circuitous path to get to crypto. But uh, I, I was a cryptographer developing secure messaging back in the late 80s at CIA. I, I worked in fluid dynamics simulations and research at, at, at NASA. Uh, was a Quant at Coleman on, on Wall Street. So yeah, and then found my way to the internet in, in the mid 90s, worked on um, some projects related to the original SSL, you know, HTTPS that we all use to secure credit cards, and then a lot of dot com projects. And ever since I, I've basically been hooked. And now my passion for the last kind of 10 years has been very much payments, financial inclusion, how to create equitable access and financial systems. And somehow that led me to Bitcoin. And um, I've been, you know, been hooked. I mean, I literally went down the rabbit hole in 2000, late 2010, early 11. I mean, very early. And, but I've been hooked ever since. I mean, obviously just a fascinating background. Tell us uh, how you got red pilled on crypto, on Bitcoin and how you got into the space. So I, I was part of the, the cypherpunk mailing lists back in, in the nineties, uh, long hair, earring, all of it. And, and so I remember when DigiCash was around back in my Netscape days, it was very obvious that it, it was super interesting that you can have cryptographic based money, but it was also very clear that this trust in DigiCash was never going to work. I mean, anybody who really understood what they were trying to do. And, and the holy grail was always to solve this double spend problem, meaning obviously how can two people have private keys to the same money and not have the money be spent twice. And we never thought that that problem would be solved, at least most of us uh, from an academic perspective. And and so when the white paper proposed this idea to the double spend problem, my first reaction was, I, I'm very skeptical that this is possible. And then when I really processed it, I said, okay, this, this guy or gal or guys, whatever, thinks that the only way to solve this problem is to use every single computer in the world. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. And, <laughs> and so, and, and, and over time I realized, well, their perspective is different. Their, their perspective is not to make an efficient payment system. Their perspective is to solve the double spend problem. And when you look at it from that perspective, I'm like, hmm, okay, this actually makes sense because there's, it's basically a statistical solution to the problem, which basically in, in today's terms, we say, how do, you, how do you basically more or less guarantee that you're not going to have a 51% attack on the network? Well, it's statistical. The more power you throw at it over time, the sec more secure the network becomes, et cetera, et cetera. And, and once, I, once it really sunk in that this could work, it just changed my life. And But it took me a few months to really accept that this was as powerful as, as the author would have us believe. 
Yeah, it took me a long time to get my head around Bitcoin in those very early days, uh, you know, 2010, 2011. Uh, I didn't quite understand it myself. By the way, I should say, I feel relieved that someone with a formal uh, computer science background from Stanford, probably uh, one of the uh, top uh, re leading research institutions in the world in computer science, also had that same experience. It really is a big head shift, a big mental transition to make. It is. It is. And I hear people all the time like, oh, it's it's so great. We have these efficient, you know, cheaper ways to do payments with crypto. And it's just not true. Right. It's actually incredibly expensive to do this stuff with crypto. But that's not the problem it's trying to solve. The problem it's trying to solve is, is eliminating centralized trust. It turns out that eliminating centralized trust is incredibly expensive. And, and so, you know, that's the price we're paying so far because we haven't found another way to solve it. My guess is there isn't at least with modern you know, computing standards anyway. So how did you first get into this space professionally? Obviously, uh, you were saying at the beginning, you've done a lot of uh, things working at Goldman, uh, CIA, NASA. How did you make the transition into this space professionally? Yeah, so I was doing a lot of work in the payment space, um, late 90s, early 2000s uh, for old flip phones. I was doing work in payments. And then when the smartphones came out, I was actually running a company that was trying to help uh, documented immigrants be able to send money home easier using smartphones. Uh, we had set up a bunch of nonprofits in places like Haiti and, and, and Mexico to help people do that. And I was very frustrated as a result of all of the kind of barriers to entry from, from a regulatory perspective, just trying to move very small amounts of money around. Um, and and it's, it becomes almost financially impossible to do that at any kind of scale beyond kind of the traditional Western Union model. And there's a reason why their fees are what they are when you dig in, um, because there's really no other way to create a sustainable business in that space up until you know, I saw crypto and, and that was what was so attractive to me when I realized that it could basically act as a kind of trustless system for moving money into places where the banks don't want to be, but the regulations are the same. I was like, whoa, this is really interesting. And that's what, what initially attracted me uh, to, to Bitcoin and, and, and obviously now that the broader cryptocurrency space. So you guys uh, spun up Abra over five years ago. What was the thesis? Uh, what were you passionate about doing then? Yeah, so, so the original thesis was, could we build a new banking system starting with payments and then getting into other forms of or, or parts of the banking uh, system? And it turns out we had the order backwards, right? It turns out that you know, Bitcoin really was better suited as a store of wealth out of the gate. And it took me a while to catch up to that, partially because when I read the paper, it says peer-to-peer -peer electronic money. And, and I, I focused on payments, which is what was interesting to me at the time. Ironically, you know, I was kind of a closet economist, Austrian school follower and had read all the papers. I just didn't, I didn't correlate that to Bitcoin at the time because of my personal interest. And, and once I made the connection, I said, oh my God, how much Bitcoin have I given away? You know, everything kind of changed for me. And Abra, while we were initially very focused on using Bitcoin for payments, and this is pre-lightning, of course, um, and, and, you know, mining fees were 10 cents. Once we made the transition to understanding how this was going to play out and the timing of, of how this was going to play out, we decided that it made more sense to enable investing in Bitcoin and crypto first, uh, build wealth management tools for that, and then layer in things like payments and lending over time, which is what we've done now. And so we'd see ourselves as a full service crypto banking a company, you know, trading, uh, investing for high yield, borrowing against cryptocurrencies, soon payments. But it's been a bit of a securitist route to get there just based upon, you know, as, as, you, as you learn, you make a lot of mistakes in the early days of startups in terms of 
what's the first application? How do you get to market? Um, which part of your vision does the consumer want first? And it turns out that the part the consumer wanted first was this idea of holding a digital asset whose value should be, in theory, growing inversely proportional to how much money um, you know uh, the government is printing. And so it turned out that was the right thesis for us to grow the business. And, and so it's been up and to the right ever since. So tell us a little bit about where you are now. What are the products and services? Who are the clients? Yeah, so the Abra, the way the best way to think of it is a crypto banking service. It's a, a very simple brokerage. You can swap between dollars and Bitcoin and 140 other cryptocurrencies, right? And so that's that's that was our kind of initial bread and butter. Then we have our high yield business called Abra Earn, which allows you to earn anywhere from you know eight to thirteen percent on dollars uh, on Bitcoin. You can earn yield on Ethereum and a few other cryptocurrencies, and and that's been growing like crazy. And we have both. Uh, a bank-based model for doing that. In the US, you would say you get a 1099. And then we have a fund-based model for doing that. We would say you can get a K-1. And so we have family offices and trusts in addition to consumers. And so what I love about that is we have people saving in crypto in places like India, Bangladesh, Turkey, and then we have wealthy you know, family offices in the US doing the same thing. So, so that's the, the, the high yield part. And then we have Abra uh, Borrow, which allows you to borrow dollars against your crypto holdings. So if you're long-term, long Bitcoin, and you want to borrow against some of those holdings because you want to use a down payment for a house and you don't want to sell, you don't want to uh, reap, reap those short-term capital gains, Borrow is a perfect product. We'll actually do a 10% loan-to-value loan for 0% interest. Uh, I've, I've never seen another product like it in the market. And you can, so effectively, we'll give you 10% of the value of your crypto holdings for free forever. You just roll it over, right? So, and then if you want to use less collateral, there will be interest rates. Uh, and we'll go up to like a 50% LTV on the retail side. And then we have an institutional lending book, which is a big part of the yield uh, that we pay out in the Abra Earn product. And uh, our lending book is is over a billion dollars today. So that business is doing, growing, growing fast, doing quite well. Uh, so all of this kind of looks, starts to look and sound like a, a crypto bank. Um, not necessarily a bank in the legal sense yet, although I think that's coming. And, you know, we have this kind of full service model for servicing everyone's kind of crypto needs. So what's the legal structure that Abra exists under today? Yeah. And this is going to change over time. But but right now we we operate under a, a bank trust model where we partner with uh, in the U.S. with a company called Prime Trust. And then we have similar partners outside the U.S. And so everybody who joins uh, is effectively getting a, a bank a bank trust account. Uh, they go through that KYC and then the customer identification CIP process. And once they're onboarded, effectively we're managing custody through our, our, ourselves and our bank's partners um, in order to manage the brokerage and and then uh, manage the uh, high yield and lending services. Uh, we have lending licenses in several U.S. states today. Some states don't require lending licenses for the business we, we're in. Some do. Uh, there's a few states where we have licenses pending in order to get up to uh, 50 states. And our brokerage uh, operates in 49 states today, minus New York, um, this whole bit license thing. And hopefully someday that'll get worked out. But for now, we're in 49 states and, and we have customers in like 75 countries. So so there's 
a pretty sophisticated regulatory framework here behind the scenes with a lot of law firms and in-house counsels and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it really is a challenging patchwork from a regulatory perspective for anyone uh, who wants to be a good actor in this space. It's really challenging to do this, this sort of 50-state yeah. license. Anybody who thinks that crypto is an unregulated kind of free-for-all doesn't understand anything about what's really going on. I mean, there are dozens upon dozens of regulators that oversee Abra in some way, right? It's whether sometimes like we've had BSA audits, which is the Bank Secrecy Act. And that's people don't even know like what's a BSA audit. Well, the IRS, nothing to do with taxes, uh, comes in and audits your AML processes, your customer identification processes, et cetera, et cetera. And every bank, every money transmitter goes through that. Well, so do companies in the crypto space. So and, and that's just one small example of lots of things that are going on in, in parallel. So, so yes, it's, it's definitely a very high bar uh, to operate legally as a custodian in the crypto space. Hey, if you like this clip, be sure to check out the full interview and more only on realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's 100% free. Sign up now.